Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, July 13th, 2014. No one <laughs> agrees with Summer's quickie marriage to the convict. Why would they? Summer is now married to this guy. She's making her rounds around to all of her family members, trying so desperately to get them to accept her decision, accept Austin. And of course, Austin is making his rounds individually to try to get everyone to see he really does love Summer. He's not using her. He's happy to be married to her. Please accept me. And no one is buying it. Why? would they? <laughs> I think everyone could probably at some point have accepted along down the road if Summer wanted to date Austin, if Summer wanted to stand by him through his trial. But the one thing that this relationship needs that it has not had is time. They have not given it the time, and I think that the relationship would have changed over time. I have no doubt in my mind that Summer loves Austin, thinks she loves Austin, but time is going to change that feeling, and they didn't give it that. They just rushed into marriage. It's an extreme circumstance and maybe on some level that's very hot to them both. <laughs> but marriage? Ugh. No one is accepting it. Not Courtney, her supposed best friend, who really doesn't even talk to Summer like a best friend, really talks to her more like a big sister. Uh, the dynamic of that relationship has changed so much. But Courtney and Noah do not accept it. Jack certainly does not accept it. Jack does not want Austin anywhere near Summer. It's completely understandable as a father. And Summer's other father, Nick, didn't know anything about this at the beginning of the week. Jack had the very unfortunate uh, position of having to be the one to break the news to Nick about this preposterous marriage. And one of just the most surprising things of the whole week was Nick's reaction to learning this news. I wonder if you guys were a little bit shocked as well to, to how Nick handled it. I, I mean, I expected Nick to freak out and try to control the situation, but he really has pulled himself back from being Summer's father figure. If he knew that Summer's was actually his his biological daughter. I wonder if the reaction would have been different. Maybe you can tell me that. Was Nick's tempered reaction due to the fact that he's making a conscious decision to step back out of her life? Nick actually tells Jack that maybe he should just let it play out, just let it happen and see where it goes. And he really tells Jack, encourages him to play it safe and the safest bet is to back off and let Summer do what she's going to do. Don't force her to choose between you or and Austin. Don't choose her to don't force her to choose between her family and Austin or we're all going to lose. <laughs> it's like when you back an animal into the corner. <laughs> um gosh. Now Austin, as I mentioned, is making his rounds around to everyone to apologize and try to save face. And Austin actually pays a visit to Paul, the man he shot, in the hospital 
just say that he's sorry that all of this happened? How did Austin get into Paul's hospital room in the first place? Does the hospital just let the guy that shot you waltz right into your hospital room while you're there unattended? We know as the audience the backstory of why Austin did what he did, but from a legal slash criminal perspective, Austin is on trial for shooting Paul and they just let him walk into his hospital room. That's insanity to me. <laughs> of course, Austin stands there and he tries to apologize and say he didn't mean for everything to happen the way it did. And Paul is a little bitter. <laughs> but in this moment where Austin approaches Paul, and, and as a matter of fact, Dylan comes into the room and interrupts while it's going on. And Dylan is telling Austin to get out and it doesn't end on, on a good note. But despite the fact that Austin's attempt did not end successfully, in that moment, I thought, oh, is Paul going to end up deciding not to press charges against Austin? Which is also ludicrous because I don't think that Paul would be able to do that or if I don't maybe I mean Christine is the DA maybe he would be able to influence to get Austin off on a lesser crime or a shorter sentence I think as the audience we all know that Austin's going to get out of the charges so the question is how is that going to happen so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Paul's going to end up trying to assist him maybe identifying with Austin in some way because Paul had a disturbed son. I don't know. But Austin, after this failed attempt, goes out to the our new rooftop bar where Summer is kind of chilling out with Sharon and Faith and really talking with Sharon and connecting with her and watching Faith. And I really had to laugh <laughs> because... Summer has to explain to Faith that she's married now, and Summer's con or excuse me, Faith is confused by this because every other wedding she's ever seen in Genoa City is a huge to-do where she's the flower girl in a beautiful dress, and no, Summer got quickie married, and Austin comes in, and Summer's in the position of having to introduce Faith to her new husband, which it just kill. It's like so weird whenever Summer introduces him or calls him her husband. It's so bizarre now because she just still seems like such a little girl to me now and she's married. But I laughed because as soon as Faith lays eyes on Austin, she seems to know exactly who he is. And she says something to the effect of, my daddy thinks you belong in jail. Bye now. <laughs> she runs off this, the scene. That really made me laugh. Um, it's, it's just sort of like a child's perspective of the situation, and it's actually kind of clear. <laughs> um, Jack shows up at the rooftop after all of this goes down, sees Summer and Austin there, and he has not taken... Nick's advice. Instead, he has called Christine and he's put into motion um, uh, essentially, I guess, a, 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 a request to a judge 
to have Summer's marriage declared invalid, um, that, um, that maybe hoping that a judge will overturn the marriage, and to take it a step for further that, that Summer is perpetrating a fraud by marrying Austin and, and to get him out of these charges. So Jack has decided that if he cannot reason with Summer, then he's going to do anything he can. He's willing to take it to a, a legal matter to get this whole marriage broken apart. And I, I am really surprised that Jack would be so extreme. It's interesting because I think it was Abby who told Jack that, you know, this is seeming like a Victor Newman-esque move. This almost seems like something Victor would do, and it's shocking to see it coming from you, although I think we all know, again, as the audience, that Jack and Victor are a whole lot more alike than maybe they would care to admit, but I also appreciated and enjoyed the fact that Abby was the one who ended up telling Jack that Austin was Summer's first sexual experience and that's part of the reason why she feels <clears throat> so deeply connected to him and that was difficult for Jack to hear it's one thing to think of his little girl marrying this monster but to think of her giving herself to him I think hadn't really occurred to him or maybe wasn't crystallized in his mind but I'm sure that the fact that they're sleeping together is going to come into play I think that as far as the dissolution of marriage goes that Jack has requested I think that will be declared invalid because they've consummated the marriage. So I, I, there's just no question in my mind that this marriage is going to stick. My only real question at this point is about Austin's sincerity. And there was something, even though in his actions all throughout the week, he seemed very genuine about loving Summer, but there was something just in the back of my brain that made me wonder if he is using her or if he is at least capitalizing on this opportunity. If if he if there is something in him that's not a hundred percent devoted to her, I, I think it's obvious that she feels the way she feels for him is different than the way he feels for her. And I do wonder if there's not at least a, a few morsels of uh, of Austin deciding to capitalize on this opportunity in one way or another. I mean, Summer is. A, a support system for him now. She is an ally. She's a meal ticket. She's a lot of really positive things. And turning down an heiress when you are in the worst position of your life would probably not be a smart idea. So I, I do wonder what you guys think about this. What is the consensus here? Is Austin sincere in his feelings for Summer, or is he using her? Is he manipulating her? I'm going to put that up as a poll on yrchat.com this week. So if you want to vote in that poll, go to yrchat.com and let me know, is Austin using Summer, or is he genuinely in love with her? I'm really curious to know what uh, the general feeling about that is. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Um, Summer is busy planning 
a re-wedding. She has realized that the quickie wedding was not her dream and she wants to make it official in a church in front of her friends and family and she desperately wants her friends and family to be there to support her. But again, I'm, I'm a little surprised that she expects that. You know, everybody is against this marriage and it might be a little bit naive to expect them to just rally around whatever decision she makes. And maybe that's a product of her growing up, maybe her of her environment, just sort of as a Newman expecting that everything's sort of going to fall out in front of you. And that's not the case. You're going to have to work for it a little bit. You're going to have to prove yourself a little bit. And I have been also enjoying and finding it interesting that... Sharon is really the only person who has been supportive of Summer. And there was a conversation earlier in the week where Sharon said to Nick, you know, we can't, you know, Sharon learned of what Summer's done with this marriage. And she and Nick are discussing it. And uh, Sharon is saying, well, you know, it's not a good idea to push her, especially since you're not technically her father, but maybe I can find a way in there. Maybe I can jump in there and guide her. In fact, I understand that Summer doesn't have a mother, and in some weird way, I feel indebted to Phyllis. Can't imagine why in my subconscious I would feel that way, but I do. So let me get up in there and see if I can help guide Summer. And Sharon is really doing that. It's Summer's re-wedding day. They're in, I guess, a hotel room or some, maybe it's a room at the church and Summer is getting ready doing her hair and she needs a lipstick <laughs> and Sharon breaks out the old creamy nude <laughs> really who would have thought that <laughs> the phrase creamy nude would become so synonymous right now with YNR and the storyline. Although I even thought, gosh, it's been so long since that whole incident with Phyllis. How long has it been? I mean, has it, it has to have been over a year, right? I, I lose track of time. But if you're a viewer that's watched with, if you've just picked up the show within the last couple of months, you're probably thinking, huh, what? I mean, like they didn't talk, I don't know. They did flash flashbacks and everything, but not totally connected to Phyllis. So it's sort of, I don't know, maybe you could have picked it up. It was just, I was surprised that Creamy Nude got thrown out <laughs> yet again. Sharon pulls the color out of her purse, hands it over to Summer and says, here, why don't you try this lipstick? And Summer remembers this color. This is the color that was found in the stairwell next to Phyllis when she fell. And Summer knew immediately that this was not the color that her mother um, that her mother used. I will a hundred points to anybody who, who can remember the name of the color that Phyllis actually used that night, the night she uh, went into the coma. It was something apricot forever apricot or something I don't know you guys are better than me so leave me leave me a comment find me let me know what the name of don't look it up you gotta know that that'll tell me how what how a diehard of a fan you are and how good of a memory you have <laughs> but uh Summer realizes, oh, this is not her color. I've always felt weird about this whole creamy nude thing. I don't really want to use this color. And it was an awkward moment for Summer, but it was a memory jog for Sharon. 
Sharon begins to remember that that lipstick must have dropped out of her purse onto the stairwell and she starts to see these flashes of of the lipstick falling down the stairs and lipstick creamy nude Phyllis uh, lipstick creamy nude stairwell Phyllis and it's all kind of I think coming together in Sharon's mind we'll see how quickly that happens <sighs> now Jack is busy um just uh, really driving himself crazy over the fact that this marriage is not only happened but now he knows because of Kelly that Summer is planning this re-wedding ceremony. Summer is kind of talking about it on the rooftop and and the rooftop bar and Kelly is lurking around in the background and listening to everything that Summer is saying and Ke Kelly goes to Jack, tells him about the re-wedding and about Summer's feelings and Jack is ready to have her arrested. I mean, do you remember that Victor did that to Victoria on her wedding day? Is Jack going to have Summer arrested on her wedding day and then pretend that he's not like Victor Newman? Like everything that he hates? It's such a, almost a betrayal of Jack's integrity to do this to his daughter. And I feel thankful that he has Kelly to reel him in a little bit, even though I feel irritated by Kelly a majority of the time. I'm glad that she was at least able to keep him grounded and tell Jack, look, you may not think that this relationship is real, but it is very real in Summer's mind and in her life. And this is her choice and it's what she wants. And you need to be supportive of her. And Jack doesn't want to hear it. I understand why he doesn't. It's totally understandable that he has the reaction he's having toward the marriage, but having her arrested is a whole nother level. And I'm asking myself, what would I do in Jack's position? And I do feel like if my daughter was getting married and she invited me to the wedding, no matter how I felt about the groom, about the guy, I would show up and I would go to be there for my daughter. It's not about how you feel about Austin, Jack. It's how you feel about Summer. And even though you may not agree with her decisions, you have to show a level of love, even if it's not support, or even if you raise an eyebrow and say, I don't agree with this decision, but I love you and I want to be there for you. And I think that's the element that Jack's not able to see because he's so enraged. He just sees red right now. I don't know if he is going to show up at the wedding. Noah and Courtney decide to have a change of heart. It was really more Noah uh, decides to have a change of heart and he goes to the chapel to show up for Summer's wedding and that's kind of happening at the same time that Austin is making one last visit to Summer's family members to implore them. Austin goes to Nick and he says, please come to this wedding. This means a lot to Summer and she needs to have her father there and she needs to have someone there. It's clear that I'm not going to be able to get through to Jack, but you, Nick, you still are the father she's always thought of. You're the father that she longs for and I think that you should be there. I want you to be there for her. And I'm sure next week as we're watching the show, I'm sure Nick will ultimately 
come to the wedding. I think Jack is probably going to show up too, with or without cops or a court order. Um, but I, I kind of am thinking that maybe Nick and Jack are going to show up at the same time. And there will be a moment where Summer has to decide who gets the honor of walking her down the aisle. Which dad will she choose? And I think there's going to be that fork in the road moment. Just my prediction. I'm basing it on nothing but my intuition here. I'm almost wondering even to take that a step further if Sharon is going to be there too and that she will begin to remember that she switched those paternity test results. Like, I wonder if that's all going to come together in Sharon's mind exactly as Summer is choosing which father to walk her down the aisle. And I am hope, kind of hoping, looking forward to, and wondering if Sharon will end up stopping or at least interrupting this wedding to tell everyone the truth about what she's done and who Summer's father really is. Mariah comes home to her hotel room to find Ian sitting there in the dark. How's your father figure now? Creepy? Creepy much? Because that's how I felt about it. How can you think this guy is normal when he just shows up in your, for all intents and purposes, your house where you're staying with your things next to your underwear drawer? <laughs> He's just sitting there in the dark when you get home. It's weird. It should be a red flag for you, Mariah. I want to like you. I think that you're smart, but getting all tangled up with Ian Ward is not smart. Ian is pushing Mariah to get more out of the Sharon situation. He's trying to coach her one way or another to get a little bit more. And it's not just money. He starts to coach Mariah on how she can get in to Sharon's house, how she can go move out there to the ranch. He's telling her, you're not safe here in this hotel room. If I can get into your room, anyone can. She's got to realize eventually that he's the one that she needs protecting from. But I think Ian just wants an in. He wants an inn at the ranch. He wants a mole on the inside. This is how he operates. And sure enough, Mariah accepts his argument. She goes out to the ranch uh, to, to see if she can move in with Sharon and Nick, basically. She's got a, a, a more of a sly way of trying to present it to get what she wants, acting like, like it's Sharon's idea to 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 let her stay there, but it's not. She goes out there with that intent. Nick and Sharon are just getting their relationship back on track. They're just wrapping up kind of sexy time. <laughs> and, um, like, they get a... They're, he, and as a matter of fact, not only that, but they're wrapping up sexy time. And Nick is just telling Sharon about the connection that Mariah has to Ian Ward. Nick has kept that information from Sharon up until now, but he wants Sharon to know the full truth. Just as there's the knock on the door that is Mariah, Nick goes to the door to open it. And by the way, I just have to mention this because Nick opens up the door... <laughs> 
Well, Sharon still hasn't zipped up her dress. She's wearing the kind of dress that, like, zips up the front. I don't know. I've never had a dress like that, but it zips right up the front. <laughs> and she's got on her probably very expensive Fenmore's lingerie set. <laughs> And she's still has not got like zipped it up when Nick opens the door. So Mariah's standing there and she totally sees Sharon with her dress unzipped, which I found mortifying. I, not, okay, let's just say, what if it wasn't Mariah? What if it was Victor or Nikki or a business associate or Faith and the babysitter and you open the door with your, it's so it was gr it was actually kind of sickening like uh, wait for her that it's I don't know it was like this private moment between them and I couldn't believe that Nick just flung open the door and I don't know why I'm focusing on it so much but also then okay well it was Mariah she's sort of like a daughter figure to Sharon at least you should try to where's your modesty Nick and Sharon it was just I don't know why that moment bothered me, but it really, really did. And Mariah realized that they are in the middle of an intimate, an intimate moment. <laughs> and she, Mariah, I think, felt a, a little weird about it, tried to turn around and leave. But Nick and Sharon just let her in. And then she goes on her whole rant about how she's not safe at the hotel and she's going to leave there and just wanted Sharon to know not to pay the bill anymore. I'm just going to go find someplace else to leave. And Sharon is like clearly not happy about the fact that Mariah has been keeping her connection to Ian Ward from her. But of course, Mariah lies her way out of it and says, you know, it's just it's I, I've known him all my life. What I'm worried about now is my safety. Someone broke into my room, which was, that was a flat-out lie. Well, no, I guess that isn't. I guess that is true. But the way she framed it was incorrect. I mean, it's clear that she learned from Ian the way that she twists words to make it true, even though it's not true. So much for the new leaf that she said she was turning over. But Sharon really accepts it all immediately, accepts that Mariah is in danger, accepts her relationship with Anne, and really doesn't even miss a beat before offering to let Mariah stay at their house, before offering to let this con artist right in the door. And Sharon doesn't even talk it over with Nick. She just offers right away, and Nick just agrees, knowing what it means to Sharon, and to keep an eye on Mariah. That's one of Nick's main goals right now. He wants to know more about her. He wants to figure it out and to keep Sharon safe. Sharon is totally treating Mariah like a daughter. She's incorporating her into the family with Faith. It's just all, I mean, Mariah's living, I thought she was living there weeks ago, but she's living there now. And it's all just getting a little too comfortable. Uh, Sharon is Sharon and Faith are getting ready to go up to the pool and um, she they asked Mariah if she wants to come and she's like well I'd like to come but I don't own a swimsuit and Sharon just hands over the credit card so that Mariah can go to Fenmore's and buy one so later at the club Mariah goes to buy her I guess she stopped by the club to, and, and to, to get her uh, her swimsuit from the boutique and she bumps into Ian and Mariah is very happy to report that she has one finger in Sharon's pocketbook so that's success and Ian is rather pleased about this I think 
Sharon ends up seeing them together and questions the connection and Sharon has a moment of trying to, uh, you know, warn Ian to stay away from Mariah. But I don't think Ian cares at all uh, if anyone in this town likes him. I think with in the Newmans, Ian has discovered a nice little honey hole and he plans to go digging for honey. Ian serves Nikki with papers for his emotional distress lawsuit as promised. He actually has the nerve to show up in Dylan's hospital room as he's recovering from major surgery to try to convince him that he still wants a relationship with him. He wants to get Dylan on his side against Nikki, and it's not going to happen. I mean, ugh, it's ridiculous how Ian even thinks this is going to work. And he is so, I mean, I like it, don't get me wrong. It's so... He's just got a lot of nerve, man, coming up in these people's lives with absolutely no shame about it. Um, there's a moment in Dylan's hospital room where Nikki comes in, and again, Ian blames Nikki for all that she's done. He knows that she feels guilty, and he's perfectly fine to just poke at that. Just continue to poke at that. And she gets up under her skin, and then he runs into Victor in the hallway, and Victor threatens him, of course, to stay away from his family. But I was impressed with the way Ian also pushed on Victor's buttons, too. Last week, it seemed like Ian wanted to run away when Victor confronted him. But this was a particularly good confrontation with Ian and Victor because Ian knows that Victor has insecurities about this too and he said something to her to excuse me to him to the effect of like well how does it feel to, that your wife has a child with another man how does it feel Victor that your wife has a child with another man the way he delivers it too is just like oh i'm not going to try to overtly get at you, but I'm just gonna stealth bomb, just throw it out there with a real calming voice. Oh, are you insecure about that? You know, oh, are you insecure about that? And so <laughs> I gotta get, I gotta get a good Ian impression going. I think I could get there. <laughs> but uh, it's clear to me that Ian's motivation is both financial and emotional and revenge driven. I believe that he wants to get money out of this situation. He has proven it. It's it's out there. But there it there is something deeper. It does seem that he gets a perverse pleasure, perhaps, out of messing with these people too. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's just who he is. So it's time for, it's it's court day. I, I guess it's arbitration or some kind of meeting of the lawyers. So it's Ian and his lawyer, Nikki and her lawyer. I have no idea why Nikki would need to be there personally. Why would she put herself through that, coming face to face with Ian and his stupid lawsuit? If it's a lawsuit, 
let the lawyers handle it. If it's a personal confrontation, then yeah, go ahead and confront him. But your lawyers should be doing the work here. Uh, Ian has managed to procure Mitchell Sherman's son as his attorney. What was his name? Daniel or Dave or something or other. Do you guys remember Mitchell Sherman? Good old Mitchell Sherman. Well, actually, Mitchell Sherman's son was on the show for the reading of Catherine's Will, so it hasn't been that long since we've seen him. Nikki was shocked. I, I've known you since you were a kid, and now you're representing this slime ball in a suit against me. Mitchell wouldn't have done that. Mitchell was much more above board. Um, and it's kind of, this is a tangent, but I have to tell you guys, I was going through some of my things uh, this past weekend, and I came across this little notebook that I used to scribble YNR notes in uh, when I would post in forums and stuff, probably circa 2000 or 2001, I would say. And I'm trying to go back through it. It's so crazy. I mean, this is like 20-year-old Allie scribbling notes in a notebook. <laughs> To have to make sure I could get my quippy quips out there. I've been quippy quipping about YNR for a while, you guys. <laughs> so, um, my gosh, probably like 14 or 15 years ago. So, uh, no, no, like probably 14 years ago. So, anyways, I'm going flipping through the notebook and I have mention of John Silva in there. And it was just funny because this week seeing, you know, talking about Mitchell Sherman. Do you guys remember good old John Silva? <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> that guy, he just kind of like went off the scene when Christine did. I think he 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 had a crush on Christine, or I always had a feeling that he wanted Christine, and he knew he was never gonna get her. <laughs> but he was sort of part of that lawyer crew, because I think back in the. 2000s, the show was more lawyer-focused. I mean, if you think back on it, you had all those shows like The Practice and, you know, all of the, um, who's the guy that did those shows? Like Allie McBeal, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot, Boston Legal. So that was sort of the, the vibe in the late 90s, early 2000s was legal shows. And now you can see that we've transitioned over a decade later. The show is a lot more crime police focused and it was it wasn't always like that it's sort of interesting to think about how things have evolved but i digress <laughs> back to this meeting of the lawyers i don't know if it was some kind of arbitration or i have no idea but it's this meeting of the lawyers and it's not going very well it's very confrontational and ian is really laying it on thick about how nikki is the problem, she's the bad guy, Ian's the victim, and Nikki is very sensitive about all of it. It's kind of clear that it's not just about money for Ian. There's a part of him that just wants to drag her name through the mud, too. And he knows, again every single button of hers to push. That's what he does. He preys on people's weaknesses. And sure enough, after the meeting is over, Nikki, it's enough to drive Nikki to to start having longing glances at a tray of liquor that's in the room. Ugh. You know, there are enough alcoholics in Genoa City. <laughs> they should not just leave trays of liquor lying around.
Who is this man and what have you done with Victor Newman? <laughs> have you guys noticed that Victor is very soft right now? He's being very supportive of Nikki, very supportive of Dylan, very supportive of Paul. Victor actually goes to Paul's hospital room and has a really nice conversation with him. He's being very tender, and I'm telling you, this tenderness is really lending something much needed to Victor's character. Assuming it's genuine, assuming he doesn't have some kind of ulterior motive, he's softening up. It's almost like he's being nicer to Dylan than he is to his own children. <laughs> it's really kind of wonderful. I loved the conversation between Victor and Paul. Victor even wheeled Paul over to Dylan's room so that they could come face to face the first time as father and son, well, consciously. <laughs> um... Dylan has uh, some survivor's remorse. It's clearly, uh, you know, he is wondering why he survived the um, the attack um, in, on his, um, what do you call it, on his troops or whatever with his team. Uh, he's, he feels like the, you know, bad that he's the one that survived. Uh, he has this conversation with Paul saying, I could have gone to the other side. You know, I, I could have reached out and left, but whether you uh, know it or not, you affected me. You kind of came to me in a subconscious way, and I decided that I wanted to stay in this life so that I actually could get to know you. And it was a really healing conversation. I think Dylan is working on adjusting to his new reality. I think Paul is trying to do the same, and really everyone is. I, I, now that we're out of the woods, Dylan and Paul are both safe, they're both healthy, presumably. Everyone now has to rethink their position, rethink where they are and what everything means. And there was a moment where Chris and Nikki had a conversation. Chris actually apologizes to Nikki, which I don't think she really needed to do. I think Chris didn't do anything wrong. I think Christine is now realizing her world is changing and she has absolutely no control over it. Not only does, does is Dylan a part of her family, he's Paul's son and it creates a connection with Nikki. It's not going to go away. Nikki's going to be a part of Christine's life now and I think maybe Christine apologizing to Nikki was her way of smoothing the waters knowing that this connection is not just going to be swept under the rug and Nikki apologized too it needed to be said <laughs> these two women needed to talk it out I think the interesting part about this storyline is that when all is said and done when the dust settles it's going to be Chris versus Nikki and neither one of them is really wrong Neither one of them is being unreasonable. What we have here is a personality clash, and in the end, the two women will either have to find a way to rise above it or go down swinging 
and I kind of wonder if it will be the latter. <laughs> I wonder. I think it's going to show us a different side of Christine, too. Uh, maybe a different side of them both, but I think particularly this will be a good uh, chance to focus in on Christine. I feel sorry for her because at this moment, both Paul and Nikki are thinking back to around the time when Dylan was conceived. How could you not? It's a, it's a, a twist on reality. It's a path that was not taken. It is the road not traveled. And the very best part of all of it is seeing the flashbacks, seeing them from Paul's perspective, seeing them from Nikki's perspective, both of their young Far more innocent faces. I mean, what year was this, you guys? Do we have any YNR historians that can tell me what year those flashbacks were from? Because I would love to know. Um, I think that it's it's such a pleasure to be able to see these actors and these characters having grown for so long. And that's something you don't get with really any other genre. That is really unique to soaps. You can go back to to, to a character decades into the past and see it and see how they've grown and I mean it's just I I really loved those flashbacks I think it was wonderful both of them clearly at the time loved each other had very deep feelings for one another and that really has never gone away their relationship has changed it evolved into much more of a friendship but they're both thinking about what might have been and I, I don't think that's wrong. I think that's very natural. And it's, it's uh, you know, not that they necessarily want to be together or go back and change the past, but you can't help asking yourself the what if. And Paul specifically is now realizing that what happened in the past is affecting his present, is, a, is affecting his future. And he starts to talk to Christine very frankly and tell her that he's rethinking their plans and their plans for starting a family and how this really is affecting their life. Paul says, you know, it's not that I don't want the same things as you. I still would love to have a child with you, but I'm worried about my health right now. I'm worried about leaving you alone. I, I, my body could reject this liver and then you have a child and I leave you alone. It's too many ifs. But this is what Christine wants. I think this is what she wants more than anything. She has already set her mind to it. She has prepared herself after a lifetime of not wanting children for children and now Paul's kind of backing out of that deal. <sighs> I just, I do feel bad for her. I can't help it. Um, Nikki's going through her own problems with Victor at home. Uh, he is hovering over her, as he is very often to do, and she doesn't appreciate it. <laughs> Nikki's kind of pacing around the ranch, just thinking about how she wants to go see Paul, really. She wants to get out of there so she can go see Paul. And she ended up, like, ducking out on Victor, telling Victor she was going to go get something to eat. And she runs out to the hospital so that that they can have a conversation. And she tells Paul, I want you to know that if I would have known that this baby was yours, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> but if I would have known it was your baby, I never would have left it at that church. The, the 
only, the part of the reason why she left Dylan at the church was because it was associated with a painful memory. She knew she would have to raise the child on her own, not part as a, a part of a partnership, and she didn't want that life for her son. Luckily, everything turned out okay, and Dylan was raised by loving parents. It, did, it was that was a close one because it didn't have to turn out that way. But you know, both Paul and Nikki are realizing that they could have raised Dylan together, and everything would have been different. Um, Paul would probably not have come into contact with Christine, who knows, and Vic, Nikki would not have gone on the path that she did. She would not have started stripping, and she would not have met Victor, and she would not be Nikki Newman. She would be a completely different version of herself, and I wonder if she can't help asking if it would have been better. She's got a lot of money, and she's got a lot of power, and she has wonderful children with Victor, but I think there's a part of her that just can't help wondering what the alternate universe Nikki would have looked like. And I am wondering too. I think um, I think this is a very enjoyable storyline. I am interested to know what it means for the parents, Nikki Paul, uh, what it means for the peripherals, Chris and Victor, and what it means for Dylan. I, I think I'm really going to enjoy seeing he and Paul getting to know each other. Victoria gives Stitch yet another opportunity to come clean about everything in his life. She's just found out Kelly's his sister. He lied about that. So she says, if there's anything else you're not telling me, tell me. And he insists, I've done nothing wrong. You know, there's nothing, you know, nothing else you need to know. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong technically Stitch, but you are certainly 100% hiding something from her. He goes on and tells her, no, I didn't tell you about Kelly being my sister because I didn't know how you would react and I just didn't want to lose you. And then he flashes those big beefy eyes at her. Well, Victoria may have bought it, but I'm going to need something more. <laughs> Stitchy witchy. <laughs> Um, kind of going on at the same time, there is some pillow talk between Kelly and Jack, and Kelly's going on about her childhood and her brother, Stitch, uh, and she's telling Jack how she was the perfect child. She got a scholarship and she went to boarding school, and her parents were very proud of her and doting on her. Ben was the problem child. I think she called him Ben, and it's probably difficult for her to even call. They're both lying. They're still both lying. <laughs> she says, Ben was a problem child, and I'm starting to wonder if Tawny could be on to something. Tawny uh, left me messages last week, and I talked a little bit at the end of YNR chat for last week about her theories uh, about what it was exactly that Stitch did, and I wonder if she's onto something, because now I'm thinking maybe Stitch got into this car wreck after high school graduation, and when that happened, it killed the real Ben Rayburn. Maybe it wasn't Stitch's fault, whatever this guy's name is. Maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe it was just a car wreck. The other guy got killed, and the car wreck was so bad that maybe Stitch just let everyone believe that he was dead since he wasn't close with his family. His sister was off in boarding school. 
then maybe he just took Ben Rayburn's name and went into the army to hide and such is life that it, that's the extent of it I I just am thinking it's actually really funny to me that Chelsea may be the one to blow up his whole secret because hmm okay let me think here fiery car wreck presumed dead and went into hiding sounds a lot Chelsea like what your husband Adam did At the end of last week's shows, <laughs> Chelsea and Billy are wondering what that buzzing is up in the corner. What could that, where is that buzzing coming from in the baby's room? And Billy is inches from figuring out that it's a camera and he reaches up to investigate and oh he hurts his back before he could figure out the buzzing. Old man Billy hurts his back before he could figure out the buzzing. <laughs> oh lord. I, of course Adam had this gives Adam enough time to fix the buzzing and cover his tracks and Chelsea decides to try to make Billy feel better since he's got an owie back. <laughs> so she bakes him a birthday cake. <clears throat> sort of. <laughs> All Chelsea has in the house <laughs> is an apple. <laughs> and she shoves a sparkler down in it and she brings it out to Billy, try, you know, who's a sort of couch bound with his bad back and she presents it to him so very sweetly as if it's his birthday cake. But all I could think was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, it's totally a good idea to light a sparkler <laughs> in your high rise condo with a baby sleeping in the next room. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this thing go down. I'm like, this scene is dangerous. <laughs> Sparklers are no joke. I mean, it's like, could you pick a least, a less predictable firework? You didn't have a candle? Chelsea, I appreciate the gesture, but you would have been better off just grabbing a candle, you know, a Yankee or something, put it on there, give it to him. Just bring a candle out and here, blow it out, because that was dangerous. <laughs> the things I zero in on are completely ridiculous, but I mean, there's this moment where uh, she's telling him to blow out the candle, and it's clear both of the actors are being a little bit cautious because of the sparkler. They pro probably, Melissa Claire Egan and old Burgess Jenkins are probably like, this is sort of ridiculous. They're trying to turn this turd into romance because it's like, all I saw was danger. <laughs> and you could tell they saw it too. Okay, okay. Only in Soapland. <laughs> but, of course, this romantic gesture of, of Chelsea's leads to a shirtless back rub which leads to kissing, which leads to sexy sexual sex. <laughs> yes, Billy and Chelsea consummated their friendship. They had sex this week. I couldn't help imagining that it was Billy Miller or David Tom. <laughs> I'm sorry, Burgess. I just, it's not your fault, Burgess. I just wonder, it's all YNR. I just wonder why they would bother to build up this chemistry between Billy and Chelsea just to recast it right before the payoff. It makes no sense to me.
<sighs> Plus the age difference just feels like too much to me, but it was hot. I will give you that. It was a very steamy sex scene. I think it was it was slow and which he told me it's not a flash in the pan it wasn't just i'm gonna close my eyes and have sex with you and pretend it's victoria or for chelsea and pretend it's adam it was slow it was intentional it was not a flash in the pan they definitely took their time with it and of course though when or had to, the camera had to pan down and show a shot of billy's wedding ring as he's holding chelsea's hand and getting it on Ugh. That doesn't bode well for her. I mean, and, and then the next morning, Billy tried to explain it all away. I mean, they, Chelsea's wanting to kind of acknowledge it. I don't see her. She's not like batting her eyes at Billy being like, ooh, are we girlfriend, boyfriend? No, it's not like that. I think she's just trying to acknowledge the uh, this uh, you know the the significance of what just happened between them and Billy is saying well you know it's no big deal we were just so lonely so it happened <laughs> it, it was just it, it was not warm and fuzzy it was not what uh, Chelsea was looking for I don't think she was looking for an I love you but acting like it was just just sex is such a guy thing or such a Billy thing, I suppose. Maybe trying to cover up his feelings or save face or something. But he actually compared it to when he slept with Kelly. And it's not the same at all. I mean, with Kelly, you kind of got that flash in a pan, crash, uh, shameful sex feeling. I didn't get that between, uh, between Billy and Chelsea. Not at all, but it just ended on an awkward note, and I'm sure that that was not what Chelsea was looking for. It did not stop her, though, from continuing to pursue the truth about Stitch, and I'm liking that about her. Kevin gives her the scoop that Ben Rayburn died, that he's dead, that he died after a high school graduation party in a horrific car crash and Anita happens to be there while Chelsea's discovering this info so she kind of runs it by her con artist mom. See Anita I buy as a con artist. <laughs> Chelsea I've had a little more problem with but it's starting to kind of come together for me now. I'm getting it. She's getting her sash. She's getting her legs and it's it's even the this connection between mother and daughter is starting to make sense for me. I'm actually starting to you know believe them as con artists but Anita is loving the idea of Billy and Chelsea getting close. She just wants to make sure she's able to keep the stream of income fluid here into her life. So she, I think, loves the idea of Billy and Chelsea getting together. And when Anita finds out what Chelsea's up to and what Ben is is up to, uh, Anita advises Chelsea not to tell Billy. She says, look. If you tell Billy about what Ben's up to, he's gonna tell Victoria, and Victoria is gonna dump Stitch, and then Billy and Victoria are gonna get back together, and that means no more relationship between you and Billy, so is that really in your best interest? So... I kind of thought that was a really interesting moral question, and it really present. It, it was a, sort of a character-defining moment there. You know, is Chelsea willing to lie to get what she wants? I mean, she's willing to lie on various other minor levels. White lies are one thing, but is she willing to lie to get Billy? And 
she passed my test. She is not. She um, d- she decides to continue to investigate. In fact, she goes to the hospital. She gets up and stitches face, and she starts questioning him. I loved it. I, she, she's just asking him questions after questions. He knows she's there maybe to talk to Dylan, maybe to see if Dylan can give some information about Stitch. And, and he knows he's on to the fact that she wants to know his secret, that she knows he even has one, in the first place, and she had him shaken in his boots, and I loved every moment of it. <laughs> She's like, oh, are you um from St. Louis? Because I knew someone who went to Chesterfield High School. Ooh, she's just good. It's just good, and I'm loving it. And then, knowing that there's something up, I think she goes to Billy, who is staying at the Abbott Mansion, and I think she wants to, like, give him an update. Well, Billy is there at the Abbott Mansion having a really good conversation with Victoria. Victoria wanted to drop by and say that she's going on a trip with Johnny and just wanted to keep him updated, and it was a really nice, actually healing conversation between Billy and Victoria. They're actually comfortable with each other and getting along. Victoria goes upstairs when ding-dong Chelsea shows up, comes through the door, and Chelsea's talking to Billy thinking that they're having a private conversation, and she mentions the fact that they just slept together just as Victoria is coming down the stairs and she hears everything. Victoria is immediately upset. I mean, yeah, how dare you sleep with Chelsea when I'm sleeping with Stitch? (laughs) Okay, well, technically, okay, technically, Victoria, she has absolutely no right to scold Billy and or Chelsea or judge them for what they've done. I want to defend her a little bit here, though, because I've been harsh on her. She does have a right to feel her feelings. That's, like, the one thing that she does have a right to. She has a right to to her feelings, but in reality and in action, it's just a pill that she's going to have to swallow. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. I understand that in Victoria's mind, it's just... The fact that Billy has now slept with Chelsea, is sleeping around, is just one more thing in a line of betrayals. It's just one more betrayal to add to the list. And she says to him, you know, whenever something goes wrong, you find someone to sleep with. (sighs) Which did not make Chelsea feel good. She storms out, Victoria storms out, and just, just leaves Chelsea and Billy there. I don't... I don't at all think that was Chelsea's intention. I do think she's tried her best to try to help them. She's been more of a friend to Billy in trying to reunite them than anything else. I do think that the sex sort of just... The connection just sort of happened. If Victoria had not started her relationship with Stitch, Billy would have been completely devoted to her. So, I I don't know. I see both sides. I really do. Um, It just, it, it leaves the situation feeling exhausted. Chelsea and Billy are standing there. Now, Billy's feeling uh, like, I'm just never going to get Victoria back. All I do is screw up. It's just never going to happen. Chelsea feels horrible, I'm sure, and very awkward, but... She also is being very, she's probably being more adult than anyone else in the situation. And Chelsea tells him, you know, I'm tired of 
pretending. The sex happened. You know, what's going on between us is happening. I don't want to play games with you. You know, she doesn't take Anita's advice, doesn't try to beat her on the bush. She's just being honest with Billy, being adult with Billy. And she says, you know, we're not friends. It's not a friendship. It's more. And I'm not going to pretend that it's anything else. And Billy, I guess, responded to her honesty because he scoops her up and kisses her passionately. <laughs> um, I, how are you guys feeling? Are you liking this pair? Um, I, I tell you, I, I think it could work, but I just wonder if Victoria and Billy are still kind of playing games in their, both in their own ways. I think that it's certainly possible Stitch and Chelsea may be on the inside right now, but I wonder if Billy and Victoria are going to end up back together ultimately, and Chelsea and Stitch are just going to end up with the runners-up award, which is an empty hand. I usually check for casting updates on CBS Soaps in Depth, and <laughs> I just on a whim decided to click on a poll that they had on the side of the website. It was it was something like, you know, should Hillary be with Devon or Neil? And I I I clicked. I, this isn't necessarily how I feel. I really just wanted to see the results of the poll. <laughs> so I had to vote to do that. And I clicked, you know, that Hillary should be with Devon and saw the poll results. And 98% of people <laughs> thought that Hillary should be with Devon. Like 2% thought Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's a pretty astonishing change, and that's no small pool. I think a lot of people visit that site, so YNR has to be realizing that, you know, what they're building here is the relationship between Devon and Hillary, and Neil's going to be left out in the cold once again. Well, of his own making, usually, but this time, it's kind of a big betrayal. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me of, of, of John Abbott being married to Jill and the affair that she had with Jack. <laughs> so it's kind of a classic storyline, I suppose. But, I mean, they, Hillary and Neil are just married. <laughs> it's been no time at all. And they're downstairs in the at the athletic club having breakfast, and Hillary's telling Neil that she would really love to take a honeymoon, like take a couple of weeks off and just travel, which is totally natural for a new bride. And she is getting resistance from Neil. He has work that needs to be done. He's a very powerful executive. And Hillary begins to explain how she's worried that, that all of these dreams that she had as a little girl are never going to come true. Having the, the dream house, the husband, and the family. He shut her down last week about having kids, and now he doesn't want to take a honeymoon. And I think that it's a very valid point that she's bringing up, but at the same time, she's running from something. She wants to take a honeymoon so that she can get out of town for a couple of weeks and let this whole Devon thing cool down <laughs> and not blow what she has laid the groundwork with with Neil. Am I wrong? Plus, the whole I want a house husband and a family right now 
should have been a conversation that they would have had before the marriage. It's odd that she's bringing it up now, and it's that tells me that she's completely doing it in a reactive way. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows, including the fans, that this relationship is not going to last. It's not going to make it. Kane and Lily are back in town. <laughs> And Lily can't help remarking about how she heard about the maniac on the roof of the athletic club throwing down hundred bills onto the street. Was that, what was that all about? Was that like some brilliant promotion, Devon? Oh no, it was your complete and total breakdown, Devon. <laughs> Lily is totally clueless about how much Devon loves Hillary. It's Kane that knows the truth. I hope that that doesn't become a problem for them. But the immediate problem, the larger problem, is Hillary herself. Lily's back in town, and they're on the rooftop of the athletic club at the pool bar. Uh, Hillary comes in. This is the first time they've come face-to-face -face since the wedding. And they have a, they exchange just, a, Hillary and Lily exchange just a couple of rude comments. It was really nothing above or beyond normal. It was kind of their usual banter. Hillary walks off screen. Lily follows her <laughs> and pushes her in the pool. <laughs> we just hear a big old splash off screen and then Hillary comes back on all wet. <laughs> well, you know, I'm of two minds here because as a viewer, I loved it. I think it's super classic, catty daytime. I, you know, I love that sort of stuff. The cat fights are amazing. I, it was, it was, you know, totally uncalled for though. I mean, my, you know, as a human being, as a woman, it was totally uncalled for, completely humiliating. I, I mean, Hillary said something like, you know, why would you do that? What if I couldn't swim? And Lily says, I was hoping you couldn't. It was, you know, Lily pushing Hillary in the pool was not, it was not just a mean thing to do. It was not just about getting her wet and Lily knew she wasn't going to drown. It was about humiliating Hillary. And that's what's particularly mean about it. It's that Lily wants Hillary to suffer. Lily's never really been like that. I, I... I don't agree with it, is the thing. I don't agree with uh, with Lily's action, but I find it entertaining, and I kind of like seeing a little something different out of Lily. Lily has been literally a lily flower for so many years, and she's actually kind of starting to remind me more of her mom right now. She's given me more of a Drusilla vibe, which I've never gotten. So I do enjoy it as a viewer, although I... I, I don't think it was the right thing to do. Oh, by the way, loved Lily's swimsuit cover. She looked so good. I want to get me that. I want to get me one. <laughs> it was like white and flowy. And ugh, I know there's a name for that style and I can't think of it. But it was really, really cute. And Lily was very, very proud of herself prancing around on that rooftop after pushing Hillary in. Now, of course... Devon has to be there to comfort Hillary, to throw, you know, to throw a warm towel over her. Oh, let me warm you up, Hillary. How nice, Devon, for your stepmommy. How nice to be good to your stepmommy. But he warms her up with a, ho with a towel, and not only that, but he, he gives her a hotel room. Just just let, let me dry your clothes. Let me do anything. Let me smooch you. Let me hold you. Let me smell you. You know, I mean, he's so desperate and so pathetic. But he's like, just let me give you a hotel room. I'll dry your clothes. 
clothes. You can go take a shower, you know, a nice hot shower as if like getting wet's gonna give her a cold and she's gonna die or something. Whatever, Devon. It's all about trying to force another connection with her. He gives her this hotel room. They, you know, and then of course, like he has to go down to the above and beyond, goes down to the boutique and gets her some clothes too. And he like walks. She's, she's gotten a shower to warm up. And she's come out into the main bedroom part, and she's just got a towel wrapped around her. Devon knocks, but he's, like, opening the door and walking in as he's knocking and not waiting for her to answer the door, and he has sees her in a towel, and there's this moment where she's like, <sighs> you know, like, Devon totally just got aroused. <laughs> What is it with people just walking indoors? They, you know, Nick, Sharon, Devon, they need to, where's the modesty? <laughs> that would not be very good for a soap, modesty. But it's just like, then they have so many moments where it's like he's touching her hand on accident or blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on. It's so, it's it feels heavy handed at this point. I, I mean, I, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, Devon and Hillary have some heat. I wish Neil wouldn't have got caught up in it. Of course, <laughs> they're in the room. Uh, well, well, I guess backing up, Neil finds out while they're in the room having all of these moments. He goes up to the rooftop, realizes that his daughter pushed his new wife into the pool, and he's not happy with it. He actually had just been making a phone call to, to see about buying a house for Hillary, and he goes up to the rooftop, looking for her and Lily's there and you know it was kind of funny the kids actually ratted Lily out <laughs> uh, little Maddie and Charlie are like mommy did a bad thing <laughs> and Neil realizes what happened he goes down to the room looking for Hillary Devon's in there they both like oh, did we get caught it's been a million last week it was the elevator opening and they're together this week it's the hotel room and they're together Neil's you know they think oh he knows what what's happening and he doesn't, whatever. It's just, it is kind of becoming a little bit heavy-handed. But you, you guys tell me what you think. At this point, do you want Hillary with Neil, with Devon, or are you just tired of the whole thing? Please let me know. couple of quick casting notes and then I will get to your comments for the week, some feedback. Uh, first of all, Avery's husband has been cast, Joe. <laughs> the actor's name is Scott Elrod. Don't know him, never seen him. Um, he looks like he might be a, kind of a more of a brooding guy, maybe a little dangerous guy. Not sure if he's just going to be there to foil Avery and Dylan's happiness or if there's, you know, maybe that we're going to hook him up with somebody else. Else. Not entirely sure. Uh, you know, maybe because if if uh, if Joe just found out that Dylan's alive somehow, maybe all of this stuff about him was in the papers. Maybe uh, maybe he does have a beef with Dylan. Maybe he could actually cause him some harm. I don't know, but I think he is possibly going to be a foil for that relationship. And then the other casting note is we have a relative of Mariah's having been cast. The actress's name is Katrina. Trina Logue. I guess she's the sister of Donald Logue, who, um, I don't know, maybe you guys remember him as the dad from Grounded for Life. Um, he's a really good actor. I really
really like him, and I think it'll be interesting to see his sister. I didn't, didn't really know anything about her, but people are speculating that she's going to be cast as Mariah's mother, because uh, who, whoever the character is, she has the last name as Mariah. I don't even know what Mariah's last name is, but apparently um, whoever this new person is, she's going to have the same last name, so it could be a mother, it could be a sister, uh, I wonder if it's going to be, a, if she's going to be a good influence or a bad influence, but usually more often than not, it's bad. <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out. How about some feedback, your comments uh, from last week? First up, Aaron Brody on YouTube. Hi, Aaron. Aaron says, I feel so horrible for Devon. I'm really connecting with him the last couple of weeks. I really hope he doesn't fall into a drinking storyline. After all, Neil is his dad and like father, like son. It looks like he's starting to fall down that road. I hope it doesn't go there. But now that Abby and Tyler are over, maybe he and Abby can pick up on the romance they were supposed to have. Hint, hint, Y&R. Well, that's a very good point. First of all, I don't want to see Devon in a drinking storyline. I feel like we can all kind of agree that that is, it's tired. It's over. I don't want to see it with Nikki. I don't want to see it with Devon. I don't want to see it with anybody. Can I get a break from the drinking storylines, please? More interestingly, I think, is that connection between Abby and Devon that was never explored. Why did that get dropped? I mean, you know, we saw last week Abby and Devon having a little heart-to-heart, -heart, and I thought that too. I didn't mention it, but, I, you know, it, did, it does seem like they have a connection that could have developed into something romantic, and then it kind of got sidetracked. And, you know, again, Abby and Tyler are broken up, so she's kind of free. They're kind of both free. I just wish I felt something more for Abby. I, I, why in our, you know, with, <laughs> with all of the recasts, why not her? You know, you're recasting everybody else. You're recasting characters and actors that we like. I, I know some people like her, but I, I don't know. It seems like most people don't. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see, but yeah. All right, so Sylvia Noir on YouTube says, Feel the power of Melissa Claire Egan. <laughs> Seriously, though, I adore the actress, which is what helped me get interested in the character. I think Chelsea is starting to move on from Adam. I agree, Sylvia. I miss your voicemails. I haven't heard from you in a little while. Um, or Sylvana. Sorry, Sylvana. Duh. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm not as good at reading out loud. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling her on a couple of different levels. I want her to move on from Adam. Although, if Adam's recast, pfft. Who cares? I, it was more like it was more about Michael Moon. It was the Michael Mooney Sharon Case connection that I loved that really threw me off of of Miss Melissa Claire Egan coming onto the show. But if it's a new Adam, I don't care if she's with Adam or Billy or whatever. We'll just have to see how that chemistry plays out. But I have not heard any more updates about Adam being recast. So for now, I think that she is going to be with Billy, and I don't care as much about their romantic connection yet because again, that chemistry hasn't been built between the actors. You can't just swap somebody else in there and expect me to just feel it. I mean, it does take some adjusting, and I'm not saying I won't ever adjust to new Billy, but um, it's just going to take some time. I don't know if the connection will be there. Connection will be there. We'll have to see. Gary called into my voicemail and left a really thought, a good thought-provoking question. Who should raise Johnny? 
he says. Now, I think that's a very, very good question because Johnny is Chelsea and Billy's biological son, but Victoria and Billy had raised him. Now, that the seed that Chelsea might try to get Johnny back someday was always planted. It was always a little bit of a paranoia in Victoria's mind. And maybe that's another part of the reason why she is having that intense reaction to a relationship between Billy and Chelsea. She tried very hard to pretend that didn't happen and just get Chelsea to sign over Johnny and go on with her little family and pretend her husband didn't have that affair. I'm not saying Victoria does not love Johnny or that she's not a great mother to him, but the question is kind of coming into the play. Is there into play? Is there any chance that that could come back up now? Not even just from Chelsea, but from Billy as well. I mean, if we find out that Stitch has some horrible, deep, dark secret, that's enough reason for Billy to not want Johnny around Stitch, not around Victoria, and it could be enough reason to have. Um, Billy and uh, Billy and Chelsea decide want to try to fight for custody of their son. Very good, very thought for provoking Gary, as always. Um, Henry on Facebook says, "Hi, Allie. I really like. I really feel like Austin will not go to prison. I have a gut feeling that Paul will drop the charges based on him, Paul, gaining a son out of all of this. Albeit, it has caused a tragic and unfortunate chain of events." Totally agree. I totally think that's where we're headed. I can see it 100%. I think Paul is going to have a soft spot for Austin for one reason or another, and he's going to stay in town. <laughs> we're going to be stuck with him, <laughs> whether we like it or not. Uh, my memory card it, it got full, so there, you may have noticed a little bit of a blip there. That probably means I've been talking too long. Um, <laughs> Uh, one more comment. We'll have time for that. Cheryl Scott at YRChat.com says, I think that Jill and her husband is starting to remind me of Mrs. Chancellor with her different husbands. Uh, they were all after so much money uh, that they, at, uh, they were all after her money and they started falling for her. I love talking about those classic storylines and I do miss Catherine and it's been uh, a... Um, uh, it's been over a year since Gene Cooper passed away, and I kind of am. I'm surprised that Weiner didn't do any type of just follow up memorial. She got mentioned this week. Um, Nikki had said, "I wonder if Catherine had any idea when she set me on this journey that it would lead." toward, you know, me, uh, me have, finding out that I had a child with Paul, and Victor said, well, I think even though Catherine is all-knowing, she may not have known that, and I did enjoy that reference. I love that YNR has not forgotten her. Um, I kind of am wanting a little bit more, but I think um, as far as Catherine and Jill, it's, that's very, very true. I think maybe Jill and Catherine had trouble getting along for so many years because they were way more alike than they wanted to admit. Okay, podcasters, I hope that you enjoyed this week's podcast. It's extra long. I think sitting in my new comfortable, my new comfortable desk has just allowed me to talk for so much longer. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You tell me. Uh, you can go to yrchat.com if you want to leave me a text message and let me know what you're thinking about new format, uh, this week's show, anything else that's on 
on your mind, you can also call my voicemail at area code 309-588-4569, or you could just come back next week and continue to listen to me rant about the show. <laughs> I am, um, I think, in my 20th year of, of watching, and I love it, and I'm never going to stop. <laughs> So I'm going to keep podcasting and keep chatting as long as I can. I hope you keep listening. I love you guys so much. I really appreciate you tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. Everybody, take care of yourself. I love you, and I'll see you next time. Bye.